You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Well, words of warning, exhortation, and comfort this morning from Samuel. He's giving his farewell address, and I want to call your attention first off to 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24. If you'll look at verse 24 with me, and I want to read that very quickly. It says, Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things He has done for you. That verse, if you like to write in your Bibles, go ahead and underline it. That is the theme verse for the book of 1 Samuel. It is the crux of the matter, so to speak. And you can write that in the margin theme verse if you'd like. But the book of 1 Samuel is all about fearing God and how the fear of God will lead to faithful service in the lives of those that are saved. If you are a Christian, if you know the Lord, then you know that the fear of the Lord is something that is not unhealthy, but it's actually a healthy motivator that leads you to serve. Now, we all know that the spectrum of the fear of the Lord is different for different people. Of course, the fear of the Lord when you're not saved, well, that's a fear of judgment. It's a fear of the the, the reality that one day you're going to die and stand before the God who created you. And you're going to give an account for the way that you lived your life. And so the fear of the Lord for the unsaved, it's kind of a dread. It's a dreadful thing. It's something that that should stir up, hey, I better get right with God. I, I better consider my life. But then as you go, as you get saved, you trust in Christ and you begin to walk with the Lord, your fear of the Lord begins to change. And instead of this dread of God, you realize who He is, all that He's done for you, and you begin to walk with Him in a relationship. And that relationship grows in love over time. And, and, and at this point in my life, personally, where I'm at, the fear of the Lord, it's a beautiful thing. It's something that I love about my relationship with the Lord because it leads to faithful service. It leads to good things in my life. And that is the purpose of it. And we're going to be looking at that today in our Bible study. But first, I want to talk to you about a guy named Bobby Dodd. Any sports fans here recognize Bobby Dodd from Georgia State University? Coached them for years. An amazing football coach and football player. In fact, he's one of only four people to be inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame as a player and a coach. And he was the athletic director there for years at Georgia Tech, but he told a story to his players one year about a team that was leading 7-6 to six in the last minute of play. They were winning the game 7-6. to six. And this coach carefully instructed his quarterback, don't pass the ball. (laughs) Under any circumstances, you are not to pass the ball, maintain possession, and let the clock run out. Well, the ball got down to within the the, the opponent's 10-yard line, 10 yards away from the end zone, and the quarterback just couldn't do it. He was overcome with temptation, and he rolled out on a bootleg and passed the ball, only to have it intercepted in the open field by one of the fastest cornerbacks on the other team. And of course, he caught the ball and raced off for, you know, he was running for pay dirt, thought he had a touchdown, no problem. Well, 
that quarterback brought him down about midfield. And after the game, the losing coach said to him, I'll never understand how your boy overtook my fastest cornerback. And the other coach said, I'll tell you, your boy was running for a touchdown, but my boy was running for his life. (laughs) He understood that if he did not tackle that guy and win the game, that coach was going to kill him. So uh, he had a fear of running that guy down, right? He was running for his life. What's your motive for running the Christian life this morning, or running the Christian race, I should say, this morning? Are you running to please the one who called you, saved you, and loves you perfectly? Or are you just running for a touchdown? You're just running for temporary satisfaction. You're in this for what you get out of it, in other words. So many Christians don't grasp the reality of the life that we've been given, You've been given that one life to live, and it will soon be passed, and only what you do for Christ will last. Okay, that was C.T. Studd, the famous missionary there that's, that's quoted that. But Samuel understood this. This man, Samuel, that we're studying today in the text, he understood he was running to finish well. He started as a young boy serving the Lord in the temple, or in the tabernacle, and here he is, an old man with gray hairs. But he has run his race well, and we are going to see how the fear of the Lord in Samuel's life helped him to do that. Now, in chapter 12, he's giving his farewell speech. We started it last week. Let's finish it this week. Pick it up with me in verse 6, where we see the Lord's righteousness and the people's wickedness being contrasted. Samuel is, is speaking here. And again, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation this morning. Follow along. It says, It was the Lord... Who appointed Moses and Aaron, Samuel continued. He brought your ancestors out of the land of Egypt. Now stand here quietly before the Lord as I remind you of all the great things the Lord has done for you and your ancestors. Boy, isn't it great to be reminded of the great things that God has done for us? We need to remember this as well. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Number Verse 8. When the Israelites were in Egypt and cried out to the Lord, he sent Moses and Aaron to rescue them from Egypt and to bring them into this land. But the people soon forgot about the Lord their God. So he handed them over to Sisera, the commander of Hazor's army, and also to the Philistines and to the king of Moab, who fought against them. Then they cried out to the Lord again and confessed, We have sinned by turning away from the Lord and worshiping the images of Baal and Ashtoreth. But we will worship you and you alone if you will rescue us from our enemies. I love how the people are making a a, a conditional statement to the Lord there. Verse 11, Then the Lord sent Gideon, Bidon, Jephthah, and Samuel to save you. And you lived in safety. We'll pause right here for a moment. In those verses there, verses 6 through 11, you notice a pattern emerging, don't you? (laughs) The pattern is, is that God initiates contact. He calls and appoints a leader. Then he accomplishes salvation for his people. But then the pattern continues in that the people forget about God They drift away from their covenant with the Lord, and as a consequence of their sin, they're handed over to their enemies for a time of judgment until they cry out to the Lord for help again, confessing their sin. 
This is a cycle that you will see over and over again as you study the Old Testament. It's it's the cycle of many human beings, our souls, today. Many Christians experience this kind of a cycle in our lives as well. But notice what happens. Again, God initiates contact. He calls a leader and he saves the people. And the, the cycle continues. But notice here that sometimes... It is through the suffering of consequences that people's hearts are turned back to the Lord. Why do I bring this to your attention today? Because I think that this is a forgotten concept. I think sometimes in our culture today, especially as parents, we can have the idea that we want to do everything that we can do to keep our kids from experiencing consequences. But have we ever considered that in doing so, we just might be holding back God's will for them in their life? We just might be shielding them from something that God wants them to walk through on their own so that they can learn that God is real and that that they do need the Lord? Hey, it's just something I think that we need to think about. We see this in the scriptures where God would actually allow his people to face the consequences of their choices so that through that suffering, that time of suffering, they would turn back to the Lord. Listen, not all suffering is bad. That's something that today in in our society and culture today, that's something that people are pushing. Oh, any kind of suffering is bad. Any kind of suffering is not good. It's not something that that, that, that is okay. But listen, the Bible doesn't teach that. In the Bible, we see that suffering can have good purposes in our lives. That God is able to use suffering in the grand scheme for good things. For building character. For increasing hope. For producing patience. And and many other things that we see. Uh, You can turn to Romans chapter 5 and read the first five verses and see how God uses suffering for good purposes in people's lives. But here in verse 12, back in 1 Samuel chapter 12, we see this cycle repeating itself, this time through Nahash. You guys remember Nahash the snake, right? Verse 12. But when you were afraid of Nahash the snake, that's that's my word there, the king of Ammon, you came to me and said that you wanted a king to reign over you, even though the Lord your God was already your king. Now let's pause right here for a moment. Samuel reveals that it was actually the fear of the enemy that was behind the motive for why the people are asking for a king to reign over them. In other words, they had a fear of the enemy that was greater than their fear of the Lord. They had a fear of man that was greater than their fear of God. Now, the fear of God always leads to faith and trust in our awesome God, eventually. But the fear of man, the fear of the enemy, leads to anxiety, it leads to a lack of faith in God, and it eventually leads to a walking away. Okay, We need to to get this. We need to understand this. This is something that's very, very important. So many times... And, and, and it also says in, in the Proverbs, I forgot to point that out, but in the Proverbs it talks about the fear of man being a snare. The fear of man, it's a trap. 
And once you get trapped in fearing man or fearing the enemy, hey, you get your eyes off of God. You get your eyes off of where they need to be, and it's so dangerous. We need to understand that verse 13, continuing on, Samuel says, all right, here's the king you have chosen. You asked for him, and the Lord has granted your request. Again, here we see God's sovereignty working together with man's free will. Verse 14. Now, if you fear and worship the Lord and listen to his voice, and if you do not rebel against the Lord's commands, then both you and your king will show that you recognize the Lord as your God. But if you rebel against the Lord's commands and refuse to listen to him, then his hand will be as heavy upon you as it was upon your ancestors. Wow. So Samuel here is, he's basically laying it down for the people of Israel. He's saying, look, what you did was wrong, but God can salvage that. God is willing to work in this situation to bring good out of this. He's saying, listen, Israel, you wanted a king? Here you go. But besides that, nothing's changed here. A human king is not going to solve your problems. The solution is still going to be found in fearing the Lord, worshiping him and being led by him. Catch that, church. The people are fearing the enemy. Because of that fear, they ask for a king. They get their eyes off of God. They ask for a king. God says, okay, you want a king? We're going to grant that request. But listen, that king is not going to answer your problems. That king is not the answer. He's not the solution to your problems. You still need to learn to fear the Lord, worship the Lord, and be led by the Lord. Nothing's changed in that respect. The fear of the Lord, you see, leads to salvation. And in the scripture today, we really see that the greatness of God is seen in saving people. That's where the greatness of God is seen. His glory comes from the fact that he is a savior. What does he save people from in in, in this passage that we just read? Well, he saves them from Egypt, first of all. God saves his people from Egypt. Now, Egypt in the Old Testament... If you've been studying the Bible with us, you know that Egypt can often be a picture for the world. In the life of a New Testament believer, Egypt is often a picture of the world. So what, is, what am I saying? Well, I'm saying that you and I need to remember that God has saved us from Egypt or from the world. When God steps into our lives and saves us, he saves us out of the world. And we need to remember that. But secondly, also from the Canaanites. And the Canaanites are often a picture of the flesh, of the sinful nature of human beings. And so here for us, we are reminded that God has done what he's done. He saved us from the world, but he's also available to save us from our sinful flesh. Remember what Romans chapter 6 says, that we died with Christ and that we have been buried with Christ, and that we have risen from the dead with Christ. Christ has given us new life, in other words. That's what God does. That's why God is God. He lives to save and to rescue. Isaiah chapter 45, 
verse 21 and 22 says this, Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And then here it is. And there is no other God besides me, a just God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Then he says, look to me. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Isaiah 45, 22, guys. It's a powerful verse. It's a powerful appeal. It's a powerful command. That you and I as human beings, we've been created for this relationship with God and He alone is God. And He alone is who we should be looking to from the ends of the earth in order to be saved. And so when the fear of man comes, when Nahash the snake encroaches upon your life and steps in and begins to intimidate you and manipulate you and try to get you to do what it wants you to do, the enemy wants you to do, we are to fear the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord, looking to the Lord, He is the one who saves. He is the one who delivers. He is the one who is God and Savior. Why does God give us this invitation? Why does God say, look to me and be saved? Why, why does he even do that? Well, he gets glory from doing it, first of all. God's glory is seen in the fact that he is a Savior who saves. But secondly, because we need it. Because we simply need it. If we're honest with ourselves, we realize when we face problems, when we face the difficulties of life, we need a Savior. Now, we've been talking about the fear of the Lord, and Samuel tells the people that they need to fear the Lord, and the reason that they need to fear the Lord is because it will lead to their salvation and joy. Now, I think that we can get confused about the fear of the Lord. In the book of 1 Samuel, it is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Because the fear of the Lord leads, as I've said several times, to faithful service. And I want to show you a video at this point and study this. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I think the problem that a lot of us have with the fear of the Lord is that fearing God seems to butt heads with the idea that God is gracious. If God is so gracious, then why do we need to fear Him? In Proverbs 9.10, we see that the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You cannot have wisdom if you do not have the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord first requires you to believe that God is who He says He is. And you cannot have an accurate description of God's character unless you're looking in His Word. 1 John 3, 19 through 20 says, We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before Him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. So the first aspect of God's character that we see in this verse is that God knows everything. God is all-knowing. And then 1 Peter 1 15 through 16 says, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. 
In this verse, we see that God is also holy. And then in Acts 17, 30-31, it says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, because He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So far we have seen that God is all-knowing, that God is holy, and that God is a righteous judge. In the last day he will judge the world in righteousness. If we truly believe that God is who he says he is, and who his word says he is, all-knowing, holy, and a judge, then when you and I measure our sinful lives up against a God like that, we've got something to be afraid of. Now you're probably saying, wait a minute, I thought God was full of grace. Where does that fit in? There's another very important aspect of God that the Bible reveals to us, and that is that God is love. 1 John 4.8 says, The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. So because God is all-knowing, He cannot simply just ignore our sin. And because He is holy, we cannot have fellowship with Him in our sinful state. And because He is a righteous judge, our sin must be paid for. But that is a payment that no man can ever make. But because God is love, He decided to pay the price for the sin himself by sending his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross in our place so that the grace of God might be extended to us. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because we have heard that God is gracious, it's easy for some of us to say, well, I'm covered by grace, and to just move on, assuming that we don't need the fear of the Lord. But the truth is, that if you don't fear God, then you don't know Him for who He is. And if you don't know Him, then you cannot accept His grace because you do not know love. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So hopefully that's a helpful video that shows you and I today that the fear of the Lord is really meant to lead us in this journey of being saved and then getting to know the Lord and to serve the Lord. And that's really what I wanted you to see about that. That in, in, in the Old Testament especially, the idea of the fear of the Lord is not a bad thing, okay? And it's not like it's incompatible with the grace of God. In fact, it leads us to know God's grace and to know more about his love for us. Now I want to talk for a second this morning about the sinfulness of the people that is seen in turning away, okay? The sinfulness of the people seen in turning away. First of all, we see in these verses that they forgot God. 
They forgot God, which led to them forsaking God, which then led that they, they, they failed to trust in God. And those three things that we see in 1 Samuel chapter 12 that Samuel is talking about here, it's a, it's a pattern of what so often takes place in the lives of believers as well. We forget, then we forsake, then it's no surprise that we no longer trust God. When you forget God, when you forsake God, why would you trust him? Why would you have the same amount of trust in somebody that you've forgotten and forsaken? Now, how can we break this cycle this morning? Well, we can start by simply asking in prayer that God will work in us both to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes in our lives. Okay, That's the prayer that, that I pray. And, and we can be praying this, the simple prayer that the psalmist prayed. He said, Lord, teach us to fear your name. Teach us to fear. And somebody might listen to that and go, well, that sounds so contrary to what I, I think about God. But listen, it's, it's a biblical prayer that David prayed on several occasions throughout the Psalms. This man of God who was after God's own heart, he prayed, God, teach me to fear your name. Teach me what it means to really know you. You see, so many Christians today have a superficial knowledge of God. They know enough about God to please themselves, to, be, uh, to, to have this self-pleasing kind of knowledge. Okay, God loves me. God's good with me. But that's, that's such a shallow, superficial picture of who God is. We need to be mature Christians that are looking in the scriptures and realizing there's so much about God there. It's unending. It's infinite. What we can learn about God. He's, he's an infinite being. That means there's no limits to him. His goodness, his love, his justice, his holiness. And so as we pray that prayer, Lord, teach us to fear you. Lord, help work in me, Lord, both to will and to act in order to fulfill your good purposes in our lives. Now, some of you might be saying, pray? I've already tried that, Phil. I've been praying for years, and it's not working. Well, let me ask you this. Are you sure that it's the prayer that is not working, or is it your heart in that prayer? Is it that you have forgotten God and gotten distracted, and your life is off course? You see, it's so simple sometimes. The scriptures, they tell us we just need to get back to the basics. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, Paul says, I'm afraid that somebody has led you astray from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. There's a simplicity about our faith. We know that we can get distracted. We can forget about God. And then that leads us to get off course. We need to get back to the basics of fearing God, which leads to faith in God which leads to walking with God, which leads to serving God. All because he loves us, and we love him. Samuel is now going to ask for a sign from God in his discourse, right in the middle of his farewell speech, and this, he's going to ask for a sign from God for confirmation. Look at verse 16, back in 1 Samuel chapter 12. It says, Now stand here and see the great thing the Lord is about to do. You know that it does not rain at this time of the year during the wheat harvest, I will ask the Lord to send thunder and rain today. And then you will realize how wicked you've been in asking the Lord for a king. 
So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people were terrified of the Lord and of Samuel. Pray to the Lord your God for us, or we will die, they all said to Samuel. For now we have added to our sins by asking for a king. So what is with this sign? Really quickly, this sign is a confirmation of three things. First of all, it confirms the people's sins. It confirms that, yes, the people had indeed sinned against the Lord by asking for a king. Secondly, it also confirms Samuel as a prophet. This sign backs up Samuel's word and everything that he's been saying. And God's like, yeah, I'm with this guy. He is my prophet. He's the one that I've anointed and called, and, and, and you need to listen to him. And thirdly, it also confirms the, the kingship of Saul. It confirms Saul as the king, and that God says, yeah, it was a sin that you asked for a king, but now that I've allowed this to happen, now I'm affirming this, and we're going to move forward in this as, with Saul as your king. We come now to the last bit of chapter 12 in which we're going to see Samuel's final words of reassurance and exhortation there in verses 20 through 25. Read along with me in your Bible. It says, don't be afraid, Samuel reassured them. You have certainly done nothing, or you have certainly done wrong, sorry, you have certainly done wrong, but make sure now that you worship the Lord with all your heart and don't turn your back on him. Don't go back to worshiping worthless idols that cannot help or rescue you. They're totally useless. The Lord will not abandon his people because that would dishonor his great name. For it has pleased the Lord to make you his very own people. As for me, I will certainly not sin against the Lord by ending my prayers for you. And I will continue to teach you what is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve him. Think of all the wonderful things that he has done for you. But if you continue to sin, you and your king will be swept away. I love these verses. I love them. In them we see a great, uh, the role there of government and the role of the church, I believe. The role of the church being, listen, we are going to pray for you. And we in the church, we need to be teaching the truth. We need to be teaching what God's word says. And, and that's, that's really what I want to be about as a church. But secondly, we see here words of comfort in this passage of scripture. These words of comfort that Samuel shares. He says, don't be afraid, guys. Yeah, you've done wrong. You, you've sinned, but don't get stuck right there. Know this, you have to move forward, knowing that God loves and forgives you. So turn your heart back to the Lord. I love that. Maybe you're in a place this morning where you need to hear those words of comfort. Maybe you've made some mistakes and you've gotten off course. Maybe you've been fearing man more than you've been fearing God in your life. But listen, God has words of comfort for you this morning from the scriptures. Just like Samuel had words of comfort for the children of Israel, God wants to comfort you. He says, yeah, you've messed up, you've done wrong. But if you can admit that and move forward, listen, I am not going to turn my back on you. I am not going to abandon you. I love you. 
And, and if I abandoned you, it would, be, it would dishonor my own name. The Lord loves you. He's for you. He's not going to turn his back on you, but you've got to move forward. You've got to make up your mind to not turn your back on the Lord, to not walk away from God, but to walk to him. And the reason for this, Samuel being this godly man here, he's saying, listen, I'm not going to give up on you guys either. And that's the heart of a pastor there. That's the heart of a, a man who loves the Lord and loves the Lord's people. He says, I'm not going to give up on you either. I'm going to continue to pray for you. I'm going to continue to teach you what is right. Now, perhaps you're wondering this morning what to do in your situation. Listen, Samuel sets a great example. He commits to pray and he commits to continue teaching what is good and right. Secondly, we see Samuel gave words of exhortation. The words of exhortation are to worship God. Don't ever turn your back on God. Listen, don't go back to worshiping worthless idols from the past. Don't go back to what you were doing in the world. Here's why. Those things are useless. They can't rescue you. No matter how good the devil wants to paint that picture, It doesn't hold a candle to the saving power of Jesus Christ. The things of the world cannot save, they cannot satisfy, they cannot fulfill you. So don't go back to them. In fact, I I love the words, they're totally useless. They're totally useless. The idols, the things that you once looked to, the things that the world had you uh, caught up in, they're useless They can't save, they can't rescue, only God can do that. There in verse 24, as I said, we found the central theme of the book of 1 Samuel. He's exhorting them there, and we are exhorted as well, encouraged to fear the Lord and to faithfully serve him. How can we do anything else when we understand all that God has done for us? Last, there you see the words of warning. Notice how Samuel ends This speech, he gives a strong warning here. He reminds them that there are two sides to this. God will always be faithful. That's God's part of the covenant. God will always be faithful because he can never deny himself. It's who he is. God is faithful. But the problem is when people choose sin and they choose to fear the enemy, they choose to fear man, even over and above God. In that case, Samuel says, it will lead to being swept away. This is why we so desperately need the Holy Spirit in our lives as Christians. We so desperately need the Word of God in our lives. We so desperately need to belong to a church where we have a group of believers around us in which we are like-minded with and we are being stirred up to love and good works. We need those things. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Word of God. And we need fellow believers to walk through life with. If we're missing any one of those components, it's dangerous. It's like a three-legged stool. Man, you take one of those legs away, it gets dangerous to sit on that stool. Maybe even impossible. We need fellowship. We need the Holy Spirit. And we need... We need the word of God in our lives. Samuel leaves us with this. Words of comfort in God's love, words of encouragement 
to keep on running that race and words of warning, not to give up on the covenant that you've made with the Lord. And speaking of that, I want to close our service this morning with a second video. It's it's a testimony from the life of someone who has gone through some extensive suffering in their lives. But just want to see, want you to see how this person has allowed the Word of God and the Holy Spirit and the fellowship with other believers to lead them into a stronger relationship with the Lord. I grew up in a Christian home. I went to the church every Sunday, but I really didn't have much faith in God. I was just, I just went to church and just like one of the kids that sat in the back and not really paying attention. I was mostly interested in getting a black belt in Taekwondo. During Taekwondo, I was practicing for my black belt and I was putting on my uniform. I got a sudden feel of pain and my vision was blurred and uh, I fell. I got a CAT scan and two or three days later, my mom and my dad took me into their room and sat me on their bed and told me that I was diagnosed with cancer. At that moment, it felt like my life just stopped. When I got cancer, I actually just was wondering like, why God, why did you give this to me? I just felt like I wasn't a part of the world anymore. I was afraid of dying because since I was so worried about was I going to heaven or hell, it made me feel like if I died, uh, I would go to hell and just not have a chance to do anything about it. It just made me feel really sad about it. My grandmother was actually a survivor of cancer and she went through all of the negativity and towards God and at the end it changed her life to having a positive relationship with God and that kind of got my mind going about just getting closer to God and having more faith. After that I started uh, looking towards Christ and keeping my faith and love towards Him. We would pray to God and just ask for forgiveness and health and good news. Most of the time we looked at scriptures about how he feels about us and how we should feel about him and how we should show our faith. A year later after um, chemotherapy and radiation, um, I went through an MRI and they told me that my cancerous tumor had shrunk and that kind of made me feel like that God was listening and hearing me. I actually rededicated my life and I got baptized. And after I got baptized, it made me feel like I was a new person. A year later, I went through another MRI and they told me that my cancerous tumor had grown back. As I was going through the, the second chemotherapy, my faith wasn't broken, it kept growing. I, I knew I was going to heaven to see him, even if, if I did die. So there you see, guys, just a, a quick example from somebody's life of how the fear of the Lord, he started out in that place, hey, I don't, if I die today, I don't know where I'm going to be. But as he began to draw close to the Lord and walked with the Lord and, and saw God for who he is, he, he changed 
And then even though that cancer came back in his life, he's like, strong. My faith is strong. My faith is not going to waver. And guys, why do I bring that up? Because it's not always roses in this world. It doesn't always end the way we want it to end in this world. Okay, It's a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. There's things that are beyond our control. But there is something that God has given to us that I believe is a gift. And, and that is this idea that we can know him. The, the, the fact that we can know Christ through the holy word of God. He's revealed himself to us. And through the church where we can be surrounded with men and women that are going to stir us up to works, good works and love for the Lord. And God has also given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to fill us and to draw us and lead us in the truth. So guys, this morning, let's be Christians that are cultivating the fear of the Lord in our lives. And if you are not a Christian here today, let this be the day that you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray.